Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Well, I have to say, it's our Patreons, because they get to see us in all our glory, and all I have to say is, eat your heart out. Oh my God, you did it. Yes, thank you for that. And for those of us that don't get to see this wonderful video, well, we villainesses are bringing you whining about herstory today. I almost said wine and crime, because I was listening to that <laughs> earlier today while I cleaned my Please house. Please don't co-op their brand. No, but you are listening to Whining About Herstory, the podcast where two longtime villainous gal pals talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of and get a little crazy and tipsy doing it. I'm Kelly, or should I say the evil queen? And I'm Emily, or uh, 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 you didn't say the magic word, Nedry from Jurassic Park. Yay. I thought about doing the shark from Jaws, but I was like, come on, the, the shark is not the villain. The shark is just sharking around. It's the mayor who's the D-bag. I'm pretty sure if you wore like a shark costume, everyone would have just thought you were left shark from that one Super Bowl, not Josh. Oh my God. He was the villain of that Super Bowl. he was the hero. (laughs) He was the hero that we needed, but we didn't deserve. Yeah, there you go. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, thank you so much to our patrons for voting for this dress up topic. It was a lot of fun to think about who we wanted to dress up as and find the pieces. I'm definitely doing like a closet cosplay oh, because we're doing, we're going to yeah. go say we're doing like Disney bounding cosplays and I'm going to move my computer a little so you can see that I am wearing um, a purple dress. Actually, I'm doing a Universal Studios bounding. Sorry. Also, I feel like I could totally wear this, like a very accurate costume to Universal Studios. And I'm not going to get in trouble because I'm not a fat man. Like, you're, yeah, that's true. Our friend Carl is over. He's visiting and he, he's like, who the fuck are you? And I told him, he's like, oh, I see it now. I'm like, yeah, the fact that I'm not a fat man really like throws, right. it throws it off. It throws well, off your I mean, expectations. It, it, it took until you did the whole, ah, 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 thing for like Justin to get it. Yeah. I'm I saw the excited. raincoat in the shirt and I was like, I know who you are. That's because Kelly is inside me as we speak at all times. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. So what are we drinking today? All right. Well, uh, first of all, I might be taking the raincoat off very shortly just because the crinkling might be unbearable. But uh, today I am dealing with a summer cold and I'm really leaning into the like Jesus take the wheel vibes. And I'm picking a wine that I don't even know how to pronounce that I don't remember buying. You got like two weeks of Emily having a normal voice before she just went back to her voice going to shit. Like what the fuck? My voice isn't even that bad. No, not yet. but I feel bad (laughs) and my laughs are now coughs. Okay. So we are drinking a uh, 2019 Columbia Valley. Gewürz is the minor. Try better. Try to do better. I dare you. I challenge thee. Yeah. Gewürz rummer. Rumminer. Must be. Angry German. German. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Definitely not French. This is from Dave Harvey. Uh, and this is from my Naked Wines box. And uh, I actually, I started reading the back of this. And uh, Dave Harvey knows what the fuck is up. So he also calls this uh, Swedish Fish. S-W-E-E-T-I-S-H. Haha, it's a pun. It's great. So. Fishing is much more than a fish. It is a great occasion where we may return to the fine simplicity of our forefathers. Herbert Hoover. He starts out with a quote. From Herbert Hoover. That is the beginning of the description of this bottle of wine. They are trying very hard. So apparently the Gert, Gertworth's 
manure is a ty- is the type of grape. Yes, it yeah. is. It's it's the varietal. So, Gewürztraminer manure is very much an underappreciated varietal. I think mostly due to the unpronounceable nature of its name. Dave Harvey knows what's up. Don't let that stop you from enjoying a great wine. I mean, if you have enough wine, you can't pronounce anything, so it's fine. The grapes come from a cool Columbia Valley vineyard that is near and dear to my heart. One of the first wines I ever made commercially was from this planting. Sometimes, if I look long and hard enough, I can see the joy in my mom's face the one day we walked this vineyard together 25 years ago. Flashback. Okay. The wine is just a bit spicy and a bit sweet. I feel like like that's like us. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect with Asian food and the holiday table. What holiday, though? Chinese New Year. There we go. All right. Thank you for the support it takes to make wines like these. It's my pleasure and honor to bring you this catch. Oh, it's got a fish on it. One of the other reasons I picked this is because I'm wearing a yellow raincoat. I'm like, I look like I'm from the deadliest catch. It's perfect. Fish wine. Well, and apparently it also goes by Gertie. So we'll just call it like that's a AKA for this type of wine. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Gertie is much. It apparently means spice tremonier, which is a, like another type of wine. It's a mutation of a Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, all right. All that right. one we know. All right. Very cool. All right. Well, dear net. Oh, yeah. What are we cheersing to? Cheers to our patrons. Cheers to our patrons, but also cheers to all the amazingly gay coded villains that they were like, oh, we're going to make them seem effeminate or homosexual. And then everyone's going to hate them. And then we all grew up and we're like, we love villains. So cheers. Oh, it is spicy. I like Gertie. Yeah. It's actually really good. Yeah, that's not bad. I uh, I had zero hope or expectations for this I wine. I had no expectations because I didn't even see what you had picked. Mm. I like that Swedish fish. Yeah, this I is our really, first. Um, like this is our first Gert. Good job. Good job, Dave. Way to go, Dave Harvey. So I have a side, side thing before you start. I was thinking about it because I was thinking about we have 10 patrons now. And I said we'd start producing merch. But I'm like, I don't know if someone's going to want me to put cultist on a shirt. I mean, I'll put funerary cult on a shirt. That's fine. But I don't know if you'd want me to put cultist. So I was thinking of like other things we could call you guys. And here are some options. If you don't mind cultist, that's fine. But I was also thinking funerarian. Funerarian. Or funerista. So then I was like, if if we get a male member, what would he be? Hey, he can funer- you can be a funerista. I like, I also it doesn't like, have um, to be a gendered term. Funerarian. Oh, it's like librarian, exactly. but for funerals. They're they're like pulling well, urns that, off the bookshelf. The reason I thought of that is because, you know, the whole funerary cult is like to honor the dead. So. Yes, yes. So if you like either of those, let us know. That's it. That was say, my really, entire really like side funerista. note. Or if you guys this have alternatives. This is literally when I couldn't sleep last night. <laughs> this is what I was thinking about in my head. Don't you love insomnia? Isn't it fantastic? Well, it wasn't really insomnia. It was my husband was really tired and he went to bed at like 7.30. So I like crawled into bed at like 8. But I knew I wasn't going to sleep. So I was kind of like dicking around on my phone. And then, yeah, I was like, I was thinking about like the recording today. And then I was like thinking about our patrons and thinking about what I could do for merch. And then it just, you know, it was one of those like spirals where my mind just like 
kept going. Love it. Also, I am going to... Uh, stop pushing the table. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to push the table, but I am going to take off the raincoat because it is so just crinkly. Hang, just hanging on the back of your And it's, it's, it's so crinkly. It's so problematic. And uh, I, I'm going to try and make this as uh, nice of a recording as possible for right. all of you lovelies, especially because I have a little pile of uh, cough drops you here. You should have like pre-unwrapped them. I should have. But then it felt weird to have all these sticky cough drops just laying out there ready to collect dust and spittle. I don't know. Do- dog hair. Let's be honest. Yes. Dog lots hair. of dog hair. Okay. You so, can go first. Yes. And we are still jamming out to Pride Month. What's up? So last today. Week. Is this the last week of Pride Month? Last week. No. Because. Pride's forever. Pride's forever. <laughs> Thursday is July 1st. Oh my God. Where is this month gone? Everywhere. That is crazy. Oh, before I begin, actually, so I have two say their names, and one of them is actually one of our patrons or funeristas, Viviana. What's up? So she listens all the way from Austria, and I'm like, what? Yeah, that's amazing. That's insane. Um, I've actually been meaning to do this say their name for a while, and I just keep forgetting because I am an ill-prepared trash person. But uh, so I covered... Ichio Higuchi a while back, and I was lamenting that I couldn't find any of her writings translated. And Bibiana, because she's amazing and apparently has a thing for Japanese literature, which I mean, I'm like, you're already way cooler than I am. She sent me uh, a couple of books that she had found that have the trans- some of the translated stories. So the first one is In the Shade of Spring Leaves by Robert Danley. And I believe In the Shade of Spring Leaves was her journal, like her diary. And Robert Danley must be the person who translated it. Yeah. And then one story is in a compilation called Modern Japanese Literature from 1868 to the Present Day by Donald Keene. So she reached out to us on Patreon, and I thought that was the sweetest thing because trying to find the work of some of the women that we've covered, whether it's due to how long ago it was you know, a language difference. Maybe that work was legit destroyed on purpose. Right. It's not always possible. And I couldn't find anything. So I am so thankful. Bibiana, I hope I'm also doing your name justice. I practice. I'm trying really hard. But thank you so much for that. Mwah. We and love you. Yes, all the way from America. from Minnesota to Vienna. Yes. And then uh, my second say their name is... Dakota. So our friend Dakota from college reached out to us on Facebook and she took up listening to the podcast and she's Which, thank you. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, what? Seriously? And she was always such a sweetie. Oh, she was. Is I, I'm is. sure you still are. Yeah. No. No, she turned into a huge bitch after college. She's like, yeah. I mean, didn't we all? I mean, I think we all stopped I mean, giving I, a I, fuck. I was already a bitch when I got to college, so. I got bitchier. Yeah. It's but got, it's mostly got, out of necessity. Yeah. Like, I have to we, stop giving yeah. a fuck. Exactly. Anyway, whoa, sorry. Dakota, thank you so much for reaching out and letting us know you listen. If you ever have any recommendations, hit us up. But, like, and that really. Goes to everyone, not just Dakota. Right, right. But, I don't know, it was just, like, this very sweet thing that you reached out. It's been a while since we've all seen each other. And uh, we appreciate you. you. And thank you. Yeah, it I gave me a lot you. of warm fuzzies. Yes, yeah, so much. Actually, it was funny because. 
when I first saw that we had a Facebook message from Dakota, I was like, what multi-level marketing shit is she trying to sell? Because that it is the only is. time that someone you haven't talked to in years reaches out to you when they're like selling Mary Kay or um, Apparently Avon. also when you have a podcast. Well, see, <laughs> and I was, I was so relieved when Dakota was just like, Hey, I like your podcast. It's like, oh, thank God, she doesn't suck. <laughs> okay, now she's going to now you don't suck. You know, she's sitting there with her box of Avon products, just going, "Oh my God, Emily, you've destroyed me." We're not saying it's bad. We're just saying we don't want any. Yeah. All right. So thank you for that. Say their names are done, and let's get started. So today I am covering Sir Lady Java. I love that Sir Lady. It's a fantastic name. And uh, she is a living legend. Ooh. Yes. We rarely cover people who are still alive. I would say once, maybe a quarter. Oh, that, that's a very specific assessment. Well, I was going to say like once every three months, but I'm we like, need yeah, to quarters our, every four months. We need to work on our once quarterly living legend. We did cover a woman who was alive for like two seconds and then died the day we recorded. Yeah, so mad. Did, do sad. we get like half credit for that? Okay. I see. I think we still get full credit because we tried. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know what? I tried. That was very rude of her. I was very sad. <laughs> okay. I was, I was like finishing my research and then I was like, 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 oh, she's still alive. Then I was like, oh, no, they just posted like an hour ago that she's dead. Goddamn Twitter. Damn it. <laughs> so Sir Lady Java was born on August 20th, 1943 in Nolens, Louisiana. However Nolens. you say it. Nolens. That was a very Minnesota-like way to say it. I try and I fail. So she was born with male sex organs and transitioned as a, at a young age with full support from her mother. Okay. So she was assigned male at birth or AMAB. Mm-hmm. And she was like, eh, that's not really doing it for me. And her mom was like... That's cool. I was a little worried because you said at a young age, I was like, oh God, was this like against her will? But no. right. Okay, good. No, it sounds no. like it was all on nope. her, which yep. is great. She she transitioned to good. be to being a woman and identifying as a woman and presenting as that. And her mom was like, yeah, cool. Just be a good person. Don't be good. a dick. I don't care how, like what gender you identify. I don't care about your gender. It's not that she didn't care about her gender identity, but I support your gender identity. There Just don't be a dick. And there is a special word for parents that support their child's gender identity. Uh, good. That's a good parent. That's a good parent. Yes, you are. They're not yes, dogs, you Emily. Are. You get a snack. Well, some of them act like it, all right? Dicks. Anyway, her ancestry was a mix of black, indigenous, French, Spanish, and German. Okay. And I mean, the, that, that sounds pretty typical of that area. Like yeah. Like New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. The uh, Noah, Nola. Something like that. Yeah. Um, the Java in her name came from a random cat call, which normally I'm like, cat calling is always bad, but good for her for like taking the power away. So a man shouted at her, ooh, girl, you look like a Java baby, deep, dark, and delicious, which I'm like, that's more creative than I usually get. I usually just get like- A whistle. Cat, whoop, like, whoops. yeah. Yeah, like the just- wo- The wolf howl. Yeah, like, you're not even trying. You are the laziest sexual harasser ever. But put she was like- some effort into it. I'm worth it. Right. Like, if you're going to be a piece of shit, commit, you dick. <laughs> But so she was like, ooh, Java. Also, I want coffee now. So while growing up, Lady Java, and 
She goes by Sir Lady Java and Lady Java. So throughout the story, I refer to her as Lady Java just because it was a little easier to say over and over. So while growing up, Lady Java was exposed to Lena Horne, a black actress, dancer, and singer, triple threat. And she was a pretty big deal, and uh, Lady Java loved her. She later said, quote, I try to look like Lena, walk like Mae West, and dress like Josephine Baker. Ooh, talk about a triple threat. Right? Oof. And that is everything you need to know about Lady Java's look. Classic, and, sexy, but also fun. And <laughs> done. Story done. She's still alive. Done. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about Mae West. I think I brought her up in an anecdote because yeah. she had, like, great, great tatas. And during World War II, life vests were nicknamed Mae West yep. because when they were inflated, they looked like boobies. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. And we obviously talked about Josephine Baker. <coughs> oh, yeah. So after graduating high school, Lady Java pursued hat making and fashion design because she's fab. Lady Java also loved to perform like her idols before her. She began singing and dancing in New Orleans nightclubs. Lady Java and her mother had a very close relationship, and her mother would wait up for her to make sure she got home safely. There's a good mom. Mrs. Java, you are such a good mom. Yeah. So Lady Java cut her teeth performing in New Orleans, but was ready for a bigger audience. For a second I was like... She cut her teeth, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a saying. That's a saying. That's a thing. It's an idiom. It's a colloquialism. You don't hear it too much anymore, though. No, and that's, I'm bringing it back. No. I'm a tastemaker. Everyone's <laughs> going to have, like, weird face paint smeared across them. And everyone's going to be like, "What? why are you doing that? You're going to smear like Dilophosaurus, bitch. <laughs> Those things are wily. <laughs> It's come out of bushes <laughs> out of nowhere, yeah. man. And then you try to play fetch like, with them, and they're totally not into it. And, and you call spray them stupid. You in the face and, and just, like, totally unprovoked, they eat you. They'll get into your car, man. Yeah. Be careful. God, seriously. It was like that scene in the movie was almost like one of, the, like, a comedy routine where he's, like, in the car. Oh, Bugs Bunny pops up and, yeah, right. you know. <laughs> and then Love you get it. eaten. Yeah. As one does. As one does. So Circle of life. The circle of life. Done. Getting eaten by dinos. It's okay. like, do not. Getting spit in the face. Getting blinded. <laughs> the circle of life. Love it. So, anyway, back to Sir Lady Java. In her 20s, she moved to Los Angeles, California, and took her act. To the next level. Porn. No. (laughs) I know, I'm kidding. No. But that would be fine also. Right? That would be perfectly fine. Yeah. Do whatever you want. So she started with the typical just moved to LA trying to make it big big job uh, by waiting tables at the Red Fox Club owned by notable black comedian Red Fox, who I was like... Who's like, why does that sound familiar? He was Sanford from Sanford and Sons. I, I didn't know that. Anyway, she got her big break when Gertrude Gibson, a nightclub owner, journalist, and civil rights activist, noticed her waiting tables and called, hey, pretty, can you wear a bikini? Again, people shouting at her is like changing her whole direction. Yeah, why not? Life. And so this woman like, hey, pretty, can you wear a bikini? And then ushers her on stage. And she's I mean, like, uh, cool. So it was kind of like burlesque. A little. You know, it's pornish back in those days. I mean, it's racy, but yeah. I mean- Look, Josephine Baker was in a banana skirt with no That's true. cover top yeah, I covering. Know. I so. remember. 
She just had her cheetah wrapped around her. Well, and I did think I do think she had like a necklace of bananas. I thought she had like pearls. She had a, some sort of necklace. Love it. And so, she did not have her cheetah wrapped around her. I am like to imagine Chiquita was just constantly wrapped around her. And that's why people didn't catcall Josephine Baker because her cheetah you know, they, would growl they might at them. Have. So Lady Java became a regular on the nightclub circuit. It attracted large audiences. She did a little bit of everything oh, from girls. impersonations uh, and singing to erotic dancing. So she's sexy as hell. Yeah. So Lady Java's whole look was very glamorous. She utilized her experience as a hat maker and fashion designer and made all of her own super dramatic clothes. She drew inspiration for her outfits uh, from our favorite banana bikini wearing babe and LGBTQ icon, Josephine Baker, who we're literally like talking about right now. Yeah. She said, quote, I always try to look my best for my people because I represent the gay community. And if I didn't look good, what is it for? I'm like, yes, girl. Right. I get that. Lady Java was also very feminine, which she said helped her, quote, pass and avoid some of the challenges faced by those who didn't tailor their appearances to the gender binary. Right. And this is something we still see today. Like, we're just coming around to the idea that trans people are valid. But then if you're a trans man or a trans woman, you have to be like, super butch or super femme like you have to kind of meet the stereotypical standards for masculine and feminine and that's not always possible it's not always what's comfortable it's not always what you want to do and honestly wear whatever you want identify however you want like just be yourself and we need to just like be okay with people being themselves I understand why it's so threatening you know So, she became a staple at the Red Fox Club and became besties with the regulars, including Richard Pryor, Don Rickles, Sammy Davis Jr., and her idol, Lena Horne. Like, I love that she met her, like, idol. Well, and I love that they became friends because, you know, you always hear about people, like, meeting their idol and then, like, it's a huge letdown or, like... Oh, they like start crying like in front other. of them. No, no. I mean, like I know people that have like met their idol that turns out their idol like an asshole and they're like, well, yeah. that's a huge letdown or, no, I, or I, yeah, like they can't talk to them or yeah. like whatever. And it ends up being like this horrible experience. So it's, it's kind of awesome that they became like really yeah. good friends. Like that time I met Dessa and I cried. Yeah. Like I remember a that. bitch. I was there. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. I hated that. I couldn't listen to her music for like oh, six months after that. I was so embarrassed. Anyway, it was alleged that Lady Java was romantically involved with some of these famous figures, but I couldn't find a lot of information on her romantic entanglements. So her story had canon. Everyone. Everyone. She everyone's whatever she wanted. Yeah. Didn't matter. She's a free, independent, sexually liberated woman. Bonus fun fact, L. Ron Hubbard, half-rate science fiction writer and cult birther, even went to her performances. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a testament how to how diverse her audience was. Everyone loved her. Yeah. Now, Lady Java could be a bit of a diva. You know, she's glam. She's a performer. Her name is literally Sir Lady Java. I don't expect anything else. She got a taste for riding around in limousines and actually rode in one to the grocery store, which I'm like, but then you have so much room 
for all of your bags. That's right? smart. The whole car is a sittable trunk. So yes. much space. And I'm just like, you know what, girl? Don't let anyone dull your shine. All right. right? So things are going great for Sir Lady Java, but her fame was kind of a double-edged sword. She drew the attention of the government and Los Angeles Police Department, which, especially for a trans woman of color at this time, was not someone's attention who you want. You see, this was back in the 1960s, and there were many, 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 many laws on the books that outlawed anything that might be associated with the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community, including laws that reinforced the gender binary. So ladies, break out your pants permits. The LAPD is coming for y'all. <laughs> this meant uh, that women couldn't look too butch, men couldn't look too feminine, and cross-dressing was entirely illegal. Being trans was also super illegal. Mm -hmm. And one of these infamous laws was called Rule Number 9, which outlawed, quote, impersonation by means of costume or dress as a person of the opposite sex. Dude, this is a men's shirt and I'm wearing shorts. Fuck off. Like, I'm literally dressed as a male character. Fuck you. It doesn't make me less of a woman. She totally did that on purpose. I did. That's that's the funny thing, though. I didn't, Mm-mm. but this yeah, would like, be illegal. No, we, we don't I would even get arrested right it. now. Yeah. I would get arrested. This is a man's shirt. That's, that's why you didn't. Fuck. That's why she didn't put it on until she got here. She was like, I can't, I can't do do that. Well, we were going to do a reveal, but then we're like, ah, oh, we should probably just start recording. Shit always goes wrong when we try to record videos. You're sure it's recording, I'm right? 100% sure. Okay. Patrons, if you can see this, I love you. And this means Kelly was 100% sure. If you are just listening to this. Kelly was wrong. Kelly's in hell now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask where she went. Yeah. Kelly might not be here for the next episode. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Anyway. So if anyone wanted to perform while cross-dressing, they had to have a special permit, just like Gladys Bentley, who we covered uh, last Pride Month. Mm Mm-hmm. And here's the crazy thing. California had a more general anti-cross-dressing law, but it had been deemed unconstitutional. What Rule 9 did was it only applied to performers, which I guess was constitutional. Like, oh, but you're, like, making money by doing it, so we can police you more. Right. That's exactly what it is. So. You're like, we want to be able to harass you and get some of that money you're making. Yeah, so it used to be illegal for me to walk around in a man's shirt just, like, to go to the grocery store. And then they had to, like, go through the courts and be like, oh, no, that's unconstitutional. Like, no, it's only when they're impersonating or acting as a it's man. It's only in when pub, they're making like, in, money. Yeah, exactly. It's only when they're making money and empowering themselves from it. Stupid. We can't have that. And here's the thing. Even if general, quote, unquote, cross-dressing wasn't illegal, was you would still, still get harassed. Oh, yes. You would still get the shit kicked out of you and they'd find by other, the cops. they'd find other laws to bring you in on. Yeah, it's, it's really fucking awful. So think of this bullshit the next time you sneer at a little boy wearing a dress like you are part of the problem. So these laws were used to legally persecute the LGBTQ plus community and target clubs and bars that acted as safe spaces for the community. These spaces were raided and members of the community were assaulted and arrested constantly. Sir Lady Java herself said, quote, many of my brothers and sisters got killed in my time. And it was and, and no one cared. No one cared. It was probably super legal to do. Just like a daily thing. It was terrible. God, thank God that doesn't happen anymore. 
Also, can I just say how crazy is that, like, in the United States, we are so gung-ho about not letting the government tell us what to do. Like, we don't want to wear masks. We don't want to get vaccinated. We don't, like, we hate the government telling us what to do. But there were laws saying that your genitals determined what you were legally allowed to wear. Right. What the fuck, America? That's stupid. It's insane. It, it's funny. Why do you it's think like, so many people went to France? Yes. God, when are we going to France? Soon. Yes. France, France please. We're coming. Please, this is, our, this is our begging. This is our plead for you. Parlez-vous? No, that's, that's. How do you say please in French? Bonjour. No. Nope. Merci. That's thank you. Nope. Um, um, voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? S'il te plaît? S'il te plaît? S'il te plaît? That's what it says. I probably said something really inappropriate when I mispronounced that. It also says player as in please, but that's please as in like like. So yeah. Uh, I see. All right. Okay, I need to take my headphones up. They're hurting. So I don't get to hear what we sound like. I trust you, Emily. Okay. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. It is. It is also hurting my earrings. <laughs> oh, heavy is the earrings that wear the crown. By the way, I love that your earrings are hearts. I don't know if our patrons can see it, but like that's a beautiful little detail. So you have like hearts in your necklace. necklace. Yes. She's going to eat your heart, you guys. That's how this video ends. She's going to jump through the camera and eat your heart. But you're going to be totally cool with it. That's how you become an official cult member? Yes. So in the early fall of 1967, Lady Java was just wrapping up a successful two-week engagement at the Red Fox Club. Mm -hmm. And it was such a hit that she was looking to extend her performances there. She's like, this place is cool. People are coming to see me. They love me. This is fantastic. Let's keep the party going. And that's when the LAPD swooped in and began shutting down her performances, citing rule number nine. That's gross. They threatened clubs where she performed with fines and shutdowns if they allowed her to continue. So they're going after the clubs that are allowing her to perform there. They also threatened to arrest Lady Java herself. In one instance, 50 Five zero LAPD officers showed up to the club to arrest her. I like that it's one woman, and one unarmed 50 woman officer show up to arrest. I want to be that intimidating that if I ever have to get arrested, they bring a whole fucking like troop of people. Here's the thing, though, you don't. I because don't. They will kill but you. But I do. Yeah. I want to feel I powerful. Do, like, but I want that, but I also want like to have that person that's going to tell me so I'm not actually there when they God. come to arrest me. So when she asked them what she was being charged with, they said that she was in violation of the, quote, three-piece rule. What? And this demanded that a person wears at least three articles of clothing that correspond with their genitals. That's when you go, I'm wearing boxers, I'm wearing this other thing, and I'm wearing something else all under my lady clothes. Okay, here's the thing. That's basically what she did. Yes! So in response, Lady Java pointed out the fact that she was wearing socks, a man's wristwatch, and a bow tie around her neck, all of which were considered male articles of clothing. These 50 police officers who rolled up to arrest one 
unarmed, nonviolent woman on nonviolent charges of not right. looking masculine enough got fucking Jedi mind tricked by her. Right. She was like, so I just have to wear three articles of clothing. Here are my three articles of clothing. Like, Bye. She is everything that I want to be. Yeah, like, I want to be able to just be like, bitch. And then she dropped her mic and sashayed away right. and with her, her little bananas. <laughs> yes. So despite this, and probably maybe because, maybe because of this, of because of they were like super embarrassed because 50 guys just got owned by Sir Lady Java, the LAPD continued to victimize her of course. behind the guise of Rule 9. And they're basically just being like, yeah, we don't like that you're trans and it makes us feel weird. So we're going to try to arrest you and like legally wreck your life. Things came to a head when Red Fox himself was threatened with having his club license pulled and being arrested if he continued to allow Lady Java to perform at his club. And Red Fox was forced to drop her act. And I I don't want to be too hard on him. No, it was probably Because this is like part of his living. Yeah, I need, I'm sorry, like as much as I want to support you, but this is my livelihood too. Well, in the 1960s, the LAPD isn't exactly the most you know, especially to colored people. Cause he's, yeah, he's African American. Yeah. Yeah. He's a black man. The LAPD is not super chill with black people. It's the 1960s. Segregation still a thing. There's a lot of corruption in the LAPD. Yeah. You don't want to fucking mess with them. Yeah. And so like, I, I don't blame him. And it's just unfortunate that they had the power to threaten someone like, Oh, we don't like her. So you can't like, we're going to ruin your business if you let her perform. It's so fucking stupid. But you know what? Well, if if uh, someone if uh, if someone rapes someone, they're just having a bad day, and we don't want to ruin their life. No, fucking a. Anyway, Sir Lady Java responded in the only way she could. She organized a protest outside the Red Fox Club on October twenty first, nineteen sixty seven, stating, "Quote: The law is depriving me of my livelihood, and I feel it's unconstitutional." Yeah. Which, yes, it is. 1,000%. Thank you. Lady Java also hired the American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, which is still a thing, to help overturn Rule 9, which they were using to persecute her. This made Sir Lady Java one of the first trans people that the ACLU ever defended. In the 60s. Which is... So recent. Yeah. Frighteningly recent. Unfortunately, Lady Java's case was thrown out by the courts on the basis that only club owners could sue against Rule 9, which doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. Right, like, Fuck, it's, what? It's a law against performers. Why can't the performers sue? Exactly. Exactly. I. It's Thank you, laws, for making no sense. I have a headache, and only half of it is from my summer cold. Oh, my God. Anyway. It didn't matter, though. Rule 9's days were numbered. Sir Lady Java continued her activism and efforts to destroy Rule 9. It was finally overturned in 1969, such a sexy year, in a different dispute. Um, So this had been, like, brought up by a club owner, so then they actually couldn't just be like, no, we don't want to deal with it. So... Because Rule 9 was ruled as unconstitutional, the LAPD realized that this created a precedence to overturn a bunch of other homophobic laws and ordinances 
In response, they did begin to back off of policing drag shows, though they didn't hesitate to harass members of the LGBTQ plus community. It's, 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 this didn't like fix everything, but but this was was a good step. This was a good event. Sir Lady Java is cited as helping build momentum against Rule 9 and bringing attention to the plight of the LGBTQ community. But Sir Lady Java was not done, and Mm. she will never be fucking done. We can't allow her to be done. (laughs) So she continued to fight for the rights of the trans and gay community. She later said, quote, I didn't so much need the money because I was working, but my sisters after me needed it. And I had to make a way for drag queens to be able to work in the city of Los Angeles. And that was important to me. So she's going through this fight and she's like, it's not even because it's how of how it's affecting me. It's because someone needs to stand up and say this isn't fucking okay. So that everyone that comes after me has it a little easier. That there's one less barrier that they have to break down. And the fact that she's thinking that big is just incredible to me. She's like, like she understands the impact of this. She also said, quote, no one cared, so I had to care. And I kept on and kept on, and now the community is so big, it's unbelievable. And I'm unstoppable. Right? Like, can't stop, won't stop, refuse to stop. Yeah. (laughs) So this fight wasn't just about her right to work, but for everyone after her, and she was so keenly aware of that. And I'm just like... Honey, I love you. Right. Sir Lady Java continued her performance career in conjunction with her activism. She frequently performed at benefits, and it was said that she, quote, had never turned down a benefit for a good cause. So someone's Mm. like, hey, I got this Benny for good cause. She's like, I'm there. Done. Good cause? Me? Yeah. And someone's like, hey, I have this Benny to reseed our golf course. And she's like, fuck off. <laughs> she's like, that's not a good enough cause. No, no. I'm going to go at, I'm going to go the act up Benny instead. So you can like take this and do whatever you want with it. You can reseed your golf course with this. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'll help. It's, it's a hoe. What do they use to reseed golf courses? Uh, a trowel? <laughs> um, what is that? No, happening? like an aerator. Oh, okay. Where they like just poke little holes do, in the do, ground. Do, 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 do. We don't know how grass works. I just know it grows and then I mow it. I know fancy people aerate their lawns. They do. And then it looks like little dog turds. Yeah, everywhere. I know. I always think about that. I'm like, if yeah. they don't clean it up, it looks like a dog pooped all over there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, horrifying. No, it's great. She also dabbled as a movie actress performing in the 1976 black exploitation film, The Human Tornado. I'm sorry, what? Black exploitation. It's like um, those movies in the 70s that were really popular, like um, Shaft was black exploitation. It was a lot of like um, playing on black stereotypes. And also, uh, I can't think of a good definition for it. It's one of those things like, you know, when you see it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't particularly I think Tasteful. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like, pl- it, was, uh, it was movies that centered around black people, but played up the stereotypes. Yeah. It was those so that it gave some repre- of the actresses that I've talked about are, were like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it gave representation to black actors, but at the same time, the not roles were not yeah. realistic. Uh, so she was also able to fulfill what I imagine was a lifelong dream. When she performed with Lena Horne at a birthday party for Gertrude Gibson, the woman who gave her her big break. It was like, 
hey, you look good in a bikini. Get up here. Right. Like, so she's performing for the woman that like made her who she is with the woman that like inspired made her, her who wanted to be like, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. It's comes full wine circle, full wine stain. Sir Lady Java is still alive, and I did try to find her on social media, uh, but I couldn't. Keeps a little pretty low. Profile. You know what? Uh, she She's was done born enough. in 1943, so she's perhaps. 77. Yeah, I was just looking at her Wikipedia. Oh, thank page. God. Okay, because I'm like math, math can't. No, you had one sip of wine. I, I look suck it up. I one. look like Nedry, but I cannot math like Nedry. But her legacy for fighting for trans rights as a woman of color lives a lot lives on along with her and if anyone knows sir lady java please just like give her big claps for us like we bow down to you you are our goddess we love you and thank you for everything yeah wine hiccup yeah that is uh sir lady java versus rule nine thank you i wasn't sure if my, my original clap was getting picked up oh that's okay so Kelly, who are you covering today? So I'm covering someone that's a little, probably more well-known. Maybe not, maybe. Uh, I'm covering Ma Rainey. Like, I feel like it's a name I've heard before. But I, I feel like- I think you asked me if other, we had covered I her, did. and that's how I know oh, I like, wanted to double- Because she familiar. is a little bit well-known, more well-known, I feel like. But it's probably one of those in certain circles scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Ma Rainey was born Gertrude Pridget. Completely different name. That's a terrible name. I'm sorry. Um, so even though she was born recently compared to some of the other people we've covered, uh, a lot of people, they still don't know exactly when she was born. Some sources say 1882. Some say 1886. And... We know that she was born, though. At some yeah. point in time. She herself said that she was born on April 26, 1886. Um, or maybe not her, but her fa- that's when her family claimed that she was born because that's what they wrote in the 1910 census. So sometime between 82 and 86. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. So she was born... Um, so, sources also say that she was either born in Columbus, Georgia, or in Alabama. Those states touch, though, right? Yeah. I think. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to say yeah, but I'm going to go with actually, I think so. Yeah. I, see, I, I thought know. you were going to say she was either born in Georgia or New Mexico. Like, those are not even close. Well, you know? Like, there was, like, some people say that she was actually born... Yeah, like the people that said that she was born in 1882 said that it was in September in Alabama. And those people that say that she, it was 1886 say it was April in Georgia. Okay, here's how, so. th- no, here's how this went down. Her poor mother is straddling the Georgia-Alabama border. And Ma Rainey comes shooting out of there and she shoots across the border. And they're like, uh, what state was she born in? And everyone's like, and that's why they have no idea. Well, is it like the state that her mom was in? So that's Georgia and that's Alabama. Yeah. So so they do touch. Her mom was like right on that line and she just like, like a cannon just. Right. So it was both states. And she went so fast that she actually traveled into the future to 18, whatever, six. Yeah. So That's she, how that happened. We do know that she was the second of five children born to Thomas and Ella. Um, Poor Ella. And they know that she had at least two brothers and a sister. 
they're really not sure about the other one, apparently, which I'm like, that's kind of weird. But I'm wondering maybe it, maybe the other sibling died in childbirth or something. I didn't go into her siblings very much. When she shot out, she didn't land in like a bale of hay or something. It didn't right. cushion her landing. So uh, her father died either 10 or <laughs> 10 or 14 years after she was born in 1896. And at that point, because, you know, her mom has four or five children, she needed to go to work. So she went to work at the Central Railway. So she's supporting her kids. And then to help also support her family as the second of five children, so she's the second oldest, Gertrude began singing. She began singing just kind of around, and then she made her first, like, public professional performance in 1900 at the Springer Opera House in Columbus, Georgia. Wow. Where she had joined a stage show called The Bunch of Blackberries, which you you can only imagine. Um, Oh, my God. The South in the 1880s. Can I just say, though? Actually, this was 1900. It depends on who came up with that name. Is like how offensive that I'm is. I'm really hoping because like the troop came up with it. If the troop is like, we're really like owning this and we're taking the power and we're like going to make a joke of it, good on them. But otherwise, that right. just is cringy. Yeah. The bunch of blackberries, Jesus Christ. Um. So soon after that, she began traveling with various vaudeville acts around the country to make money. And it was while on the road in Missouri, in particular, within the few years that she first heard country blues. Oh. And um, she didn't hear it from, like, some big name on stage. She actually just heard it from, like, a young woman that was just traveling around that came into camp with a guitar and just started singing these heartbreaking, ghostly melodies that you get with the, the like, blues, old, yeah, the man. old country style you blues. You gotta feel that shit. You gotta be sad. You have to be clinically depressed. Yes. Especially if you listen to, like, the really, like, old, like, kind of where Blues was born from. Yeah, this is much more severe than I lost my truck, my dog, and my girlfriend, and I sobered up. Yeah, this is, like, like, soul-rending. Yeah, this is Grapes Um, of Wrath-level shit. So Ma really found herself struck by these these tunes and this mystery and this, like, heartbreak that she, that this woman was expressing. And so she was like, you know, that's what... I want to do. So she still did her vaudeville acts, but then as an encore, she started singing the blues. I'm like, that's, which is like, I feel like that's really like a juxtapose type of thing. Yeah. But whatever. I love they they want her to come back and that's like, all right, y'all ready to get bummed out? Right. Let's cry together. (laughs) So as she continued traveling throughout the South, she heard more and more similar songs as the blues became a like more popular thing. And so she began working more of the country blues into her shows. Um, she in particular liked to use the pentatonic scale, which is actually an African derived uh, like note variation. And so she really, really liked that. And it kind of followed a loose, but rep, um, repetitious form. Um, and it was a supernatural fit with her. Like, and she had one of those like, kind of deep soulful voices Mm. that you like when you think of the blues like especially a female singer like she really had one of those strong like kind of like gets you to the core yeah style voices um at one point she said she had invented the term blue blues but most historians say that that was an exaggeration (laughs) (laughs) i i i popularized it perhaps that maybe 
1904, mom married a comedian, dancer, and vocalist who was named Will Rainey. So that's where she got her name. Rainey. That's a great last name, though. And how she became Ma Rainey was that he was already known as Pa Rainey. So as they began traveling, because he was also like someone that toured around. So when they began traveling together in like a troop of minstrels, they built themselves as Ma and Pa Rainey. And that name just stuck with her. You know, you've heard of a Ma and Pop shop. Now it's a Ma and Pa traveling show. Exactly. So in the mid-1910s, the couple joined Moses' Stokes tent show, which was like kind of like the Ringling Brothers of like their time, like it was, but it was more like vaudeville acts rather than like circus acts. Um, And they were on the few, uh, wrote a few years with them and then with Tolliver Circus and the musical Extravaganza, which touted the couple as Rainy and Rainy, Assassinators of the Blues. Oh my God. That's so aggressive. I actually really like that though. I'm like, Assassinators of the Blues. It sounds like they're anti-blues though. I know, right? I maybe, will say, see, maybe I'm saying maybe they're just so good that I, like you just can't listen to anyone but them perform yeah, the blues they, after they, that. They're just they ruin that the blues for you. It's like, yeah, it, it's like, oh, I've ruined sex for you forever because I'm that good. Uh, can confirm. So I also love that the last name is Rainy. And when I think of the blues, I think crying yeah, and rainy. It's perfect. Like, and just like being depressed, rain, like, right. I, I was surprised that Rainy was an actual name and wasn't just like a stage name. Right. So that just like the universe yeah. wanted this to like, happen. Being called Ma and Pa for her husband. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that part is a stage name. But yeah, Rainy is legit their last name. Yeah. Um, so actually, and actually for a, t- a, a time, they were traveling with the Rabbit Foot Minstrels, which was basically one of the most esteemed like traveling troops of their time. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Although the one thing I didn't like about that is when during their time with them, they were billed as blackface song and dance comedians, jubilee singers, and cakewalkers. I, you know, you said minstrels, and I, know, I was I going was like, to ask because I don't like that they say blackface song. I'm like, they're literally just African American. Like, they're not doing blackface. Well, no. Here's my question: was was the the rabbit foot troop were they? Were they white because minstrel shows were really common at that time where white performers would dress in blackface and exaggerate their features. And it was kind of like the early black exploitation films, except it was straight no, up with white like, people. I guess I can't like it's hard to tell because it's like all charcoal drawings. Yeah. The guy who like was the owner of it was a white dude. All right. But it does look like at least from like the ooh, wrong button. The portrait, like, at least one person was, Af- like, the main person seems to be African-American, and it's hard to tell with the women. They all look super white to me. Like, this one doesn't. I don't know. So I don't know. Either way, I don't like it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's where we get a lot of these negative stereotypes for black people in the United States right. is from these minstrel shows. They did eventually, like, change at least hers, and actually they... So in 1910, she was described as Mrs. Gertrude Rainey, our coon shouter. I have oh no idea God. what a coon shouter is. Well, they're not talking about a raccoon. I can tell you that much. That's gross. Coon oh, shouter. I'm gonna. You're on a list it. now. No meaning. One who signs in the manner of a blackface minstrel, or one who sings in the manner of a blackface minstrel. So basically, one who sings the blues. 
That's um, that's basically like it means they, a, bl- a black person or someone acting as a black person singing the blues. That is the meaning of coon shouter. Dear Why did they have to make that so God. racist? That is terrible. Just say blues. I feel singer. bad that I put that in my notes now. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, that's awful. Um, but she must have been making good money or something because she continued to work with them quite a while. Actually, at one point, the Rabbit's Foot Company even changed like ownership and she still stayed with them. Um, she actually said she found blues music when in Missouri one night performing. So that's what, that's when she said she found the blues. And I'm like, I will say the opportunities to perform as a black performer at the time were probably pretty limited and you kind of had to fall into these boxes of indulging these stereotypes that the white audiences wanted to see. So I'm not like, Looking down on her. No, I'm not looking down on her. I'm yeah. looking down at this company that was like, yeah. That was, I, mean, just, I guess at the time it was probably okay, but I'm just like, Jesus it was, Christ. It wasn't okay. Like it was you common. Could, you couldn't have been progressive. No, Are you going to drink your wine? Not. Can I have your wine? Oh, you can totally have my wine. I told you I'm, I just wanted like a sip of it. I've got my 20 bucks says I'm sick juice. next week and it's going to be her fault. You know what? Actually, it's my own fault because I'm drink, I'm choosing to drink her wine. Those who podcast together get summer colds together. Anyways, so while they were traveling, they would often winter in New Orleans because it's warm there. Oh, we're back in New Orleans. And while she was there, she met a number of famous musicians because there was quite a lot that lived in Nolens or like came and went. So she um, met people like uh, Joe King Oliver, Louis Armstrong, Sidney Betchett, and Pops Foster. And as this popularity of blues music increased, because it like basically the more it got into the night, uh, technically I guess the two thousand or not the two thousand, the nineteen hundreds, the the twentieth century, the twentieth century. <laughs> that's what I was trying to think of. Um, like it, blues music became more and more popular, and so she became more and more popular. And at some point during her travels, uh, Ma Rainey actually met someone else. I I believe I covered Bessie Smith. You did do Bessie Smith. And I think I mentioned Ma in that. In that, um, So at the time, Bessie was performing as a chorus girl. And Ma Rainey really kind of took over as her mentor and like kind of taught her how to sing and like perform, you know. So not only were they both like super good at like they both had that like deep blues style voice. Um. They shared a love of bold, risky lyrics that came out in their singing, and they were each proudly bisexual. That's fantastic. Also, I'm realizing we I don't think we covered Bessie Smith. I think Maybe she's come she's up. on my list. She's definitely like come up, but we have not covered her. So if you're like, what what episode was that? I just want to clarify. We have not covered we're her. Just crazy. It's fine. Yet. But yes, they were both proudly bisexual. And so this is one of those things that we talked about in a few, like our last few episodes that's like, yeah, Ma Rainey was married to a man, but she was bisexual openly. And being married to a man does not erase her sexuality or make it invalid. And like, she was so proudly bisexual that actually during one of her tours, uh, she was arrested for have in the midst of having a sexual dalliance or uh as some people would call it an orgy with her female dancers 
I, I to love the point, we went from dalliance to straight up orgy. Well, because it was multiple people. Uh, to the point where Bessie Smith was actually the one that came and bailed her out of jail. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. There but are, wait, wait. I thought women loving women was totally fine because sexuality is a masculine characteristic. And so women loving women is so pure and innocent because how can they have sex? Can, did I ever tell you, really quick, did I ever tell you? I had a coworker who I believe was bisexual. Mm-hmm. I know that she dated men and mm-hmm. women, but I, I don't know how she specifically how she identified. actually identified. Yeah. It. So she was telling me one day that some guy had asked her like, well, how do women have sex if someone doesn't have a penis or how do they have sex without a strap on? And her response was, dude, if the only way you can envision giving someone sexual pleasure is by jamming your dick into them, then I feel really bad for your girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, And I was like, yeah, sex is so much more than that. Like, good God. So an interesting story later developed, which wasn't true, but like there were stories that circulated that Ma Rainey had kidnapped Bessie Smith and forced her to join the rabbit's foot minstrels and then taught her to sing the blues while like she was held captive. Um, but Bessie Smith's sister-in-law, Maud Smith, actually came forward and was like, no, that's not what that happened. That sounds like, real stupid. Like, they were really good friends, and, it, like, it was a mentor-mentee situation. Like, and I, I think that's so cool that, like, someone that actually, like, was related to Bessie Smith was like, no, stop being a fucking idiot. I love it's like, well, why would a woman want to be sexually involved with another woman? She must have been kidnapped. Right. What? Shut up. There's nothing saying that they necessarily got together, but it's just like, yeah, like, I don't know. It's dumb. So uh, Ma would eventually go on to separate from her husband in about 1916, and she would begin touring on her own under the name Madame Gertrude Ma Rainey. So she kept Ma Rainey as her stage name, which is why I refer to her as that, because that's kind of what she's known as. Yeah. So she also had like her band or her dancers, which were called her Georgia Smart Set. Oh, I I really I like, that like that way better than Blackberry. And actually, what's really cool about it is it wasn't just females; it was a chorus line of male and female dancers. So it was kind of like whoever wanted to come dance with her, get on up there. Do you she, think you can dance? Get over here. Right? She would later go on to marry another man who was much younger than her, but there's really not a lot of details on that. So this is really the only time I mention it. Yeah. So Ma would often go on to close her sets with a a song she called C.C. Rider, which was a a lament for a lover whose other romantic partner comes back into the picture. A quote from that song is, quote, I'm going away, baby, won't be back till fall. Lord, 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 going away, baby, won't be back till fall. If I find me a good man, I won't be back at all. Oh, damn. So, Yeah. I'm so out of it because you said CC writer and I was Im- immediately imagining an email. I was like, oh man, it wasn't even to him. He was just CC'd on that I shit. Know, right? In 1920, a woman named uh, Mammy Smith, who was the first black woman to ever be recorded, oh, like a singer to ever wow. be recorded. Um, and then Ma Rainey was um, discovered and recorded just three years later. So like she was on the cutting edge of black women being, being produced for music. Yeah. yeah. And not only was she discovered, but she was discovered by Paramount Records. I mean, given Paramount Records at the time was not like what it is today, but still. Um, so she was she was uh, discovered by Jay Discovered, because obviously yeah. she had been singing for quite a long time at this point, by a man named Jay Mayo Williams. 
She would go on to sign a contract with them and made her first eight recordings in Chicago with songs like Bad Luck Blues, Bow Weevil Blues, and Moonshine Blues. Because, you know, when you sing the blues, the word blues has to be in, like, every title. I'm sorry, Bow Weevil Blues? Bow Weevil Blues. What's a Bow Weevil? I think it's a kind of bug. Okay, you're going to have to look it up and put a picture up right now because I cannot even begin to imagine what a Bow Weevil is. Ew. That's nasty I mean, that's as B-O-L-L, but, and the other one was B-O, but, you know, whatever. Ew, I hate it. So she would actually go on to make more than a hundred other recordings on, in, in just in the next five years. And that, that's not saying a hundred albums, but like a hundred recordings of yeah. different songs. So that's still... Very impressive. You, fi- you figure back then it was probably like eight to ten songs per record. If even, because yeah, like... exactly. You, you think of records in the 70s. They had like two songs on one side, two songs on the other maybe. Yeah. And the thing that I think is amazing is Paramount knew what they had. And they were like, you're our it girl. And they marketed her fiercely. They called her the mother of blues, the songbird of the South, the gold neck woman of the blues and the paramount wildcat. I really like that one. I love like, that. Like because she was kind of known, like I said, for her like saucier and like more out there lyrics, which is kind of funny. Like, because I don't really like in my mind, I'm like saucy and blues don't necessarily go together, but I'm like, I guess I could see it make it work. I did listen to like a song or two of hers cause they are still out there. And yeah, like, they're good. Like, I'm not a huge, like, blues or, like, country fan. But, yeah, she has that, like, really deep, like, soulful voice where I'm like, I don't even care what the lyrics are. Like, I just want to listen to you sing. See, when you say, like, saucy blues, I'm imagining how we get, like, like fuck it. Jesus, take the wheel. Let's yeah. do this. We're leaning into the chaos. Oh. It's going to happen I and don't... we have no control. Just kind of that, like. like... Me right now where I don't need more wine, but I'm going to have more wine because it's Friday and fuck it. It's Friday and fuck it. So in 1924, uh, Ma Rainey actually got what I would consider probably like a really sweet deal. And she actually got to record with Louis Armstrong, which oh, is dang. huge. So she uh, recorded songs such as Jelly Bean Blues, Counting the Blues, and, and they recorded a version of the song C.C. Rider. Uh, in the same year, she also dis- she embarked on like her first, like it wasn't her first tour, but it was her first tour like being a like kept artist like while yeah, she was yeah. under the paramount label yeah and it was a tour of the theater owners booking association no which was so that, sexy yeah and so that was like the the southern united states was that and then she also toured um parts of the midwest um and what was cool is she was singing for black and white audiences i'm sure s- because it's 1920s, they were probably segregated. it was probably segregated, but still. Depending on where she was. She was also accompanied by a band and a band leader. Um, it was the Wildcats Jazz Band, led mm-hmm. by um, Thomas Dorsey, who was a pianist and the band leader. They began their tour uh, in Chicago in 1924 and then continued on and off until 1928. So it was almost a four-year tour on and off. Good That's God. not bad. The interesting thing is Thomas Dorsey, the the man that was running the band, would actually leave uh, halfway through the tour because of ill health and was replaced by a woman, Lillian Hardaway Henderson, who was the wife of one of the members of the band. And so she hired her and then the Lillian became the band's leader, which I think is really cool. Nice. Empowered women, empowering women. Damn right they do. Um, 
So like I said, most of Ma Rainey's songs would mention sexuality and love affairs with men, um, though she would contain references to her lesbianism or bisexualism, such as in the 1928 song, Prove It On Me, which is, so quote, they said I'd do it, ain't nobody caught me, sure got to prove it on me. Went out last night with a crowd of my friends, they must have been women because I don't like men. It's true I wear a collar and tie, makes the wind blow all the while. And I'm like, ooh. I like that. I also kind of like that allusion to potential cross-dressing. Right. Or um, dressing masculinely. I hate referring to it as cross-dressing because I was like, I, I don't understand why it has to be like, oh, I'm dressing as the opposite gender. And apparently something. this lyric refers to the incident where she had previously gotten arrested during the orgy. Oh, this was the orgy story. Yep. <laughs> In song format. You know what? Taylor Swift makes songs based on her breakups, makes millions and millions of dollars. Right. Adele, same thing. Ma Rainey writes about Original. An, an orgy. We need to know her and acknowledge her because she is right. the OG um, and a, babe. According to the political activist and scholar Angela Davis, um, she said that the song that the Prove On Me where that lyric came from is a cultural precursor to the lesbian cultural movement in the 1970s which um, began to crystallize around performances and recordings of lesbian affirming songs such as that. But yeah, like at the time when it was originally released, like a lot of people really embraced it. You know, a lot of people from that culture really embraced it because it was, you know, very gender bending. Like you didn't see that a lot. And so like, and at the time the lyrics really outlined Ma wearing a three piece suit, mingling with women while police officers kind of lurk nearby, which was a very common occurrence for lesbians and bisexuals of the time. Yeah. So, like, I think a lot of people, like, were listening to it and were like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking Even about. Even long after that, you exactly. know? I also love, just from the excerpt you read, like, I hear it and I'm immediately like, ooh, I know what's going on. But I feel like for right. audiences of the time, it was kind of one of those, like, if you know, you know. Otherwise, right. it's just like, oh, this is a cool song. Like, whatever. Exactly. You know? And um, so then there's that other element of uh, intimacy mm -hmm. and also protection. Because it, it can speak to you in a way that you can't express yourself. Right. And it's kind of that, like, inside secret, you yeah. know? Which was kind of, what was kind of cool also about Ma Rainey is that a lot of the songs she wrote... Um, by a lot of historians, at least one third of the song she wrote was actually written by her, which oh. wasn't actually super common back in the day. A lot of times, and even today you have it where there's, there's writers that write the music and then there's the singers that actually sing it. A lot of times the, it's not the same person. Well, when we covered Billie Holiday, she, most of her recordings were right covers, I guess you could say. Like you get the license for the yep. music and you just have a bunch of different artists record the same song over and over and over, you know? Yeah. So throughout the 1920s, Ma Rainey would continue performing, and she had a reputation for being one of the most dynamic performers in the entire United States. And in large part, this was because she wrote her own songs. She had wonderful showmanship. Like, she was great to watch. She had this, like I said, she had backup dancers that were male and female, and she had that deep, soulful voice that people really look for in the blues. She and her band could fetch earnings of about three fifty a week on tour, which is great. I didn't look up uh, like what it was, but it was right. It was right? probably not like three dollars. No, three hundred and fifty dollars a week. I mean, that's in not the nineteen twenties. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Okay, so toward the end of the nineteen twenties, um, the live vaudeville acts really kind of continued to decline. 
this was when radio and recordings became a big thing. Luckily she had some, but you know, like, like it wasn't immediately effective of Ma, but like as, you know, things went on and, you know, she was getting older, um, she really like kind of went out of style, like blues in general, like because it was kind of this thing you would go and watch and it was a soulful performance, like really up until almost like the the 1930s. Like, so she kind of made it almost 10 years into radio and recordings, but really by the 1930s, she wasn't really viewed as fashionable and paramount kind of like put her out to pasture and unfortunately it's unclear and I couldn't find like a clear concise thing to say if she if she actually maintained her royalties or if Paramount did which is really really sad well considering how often black artists were taken advantage of right and they were paid much less than white artists they didn't have any rights over their work I'm gonna err on the side of caution and say they fucked her over so legacy. Wait, just nope. sorry to interrupt. Can I just say, I get the Roaring Twenties was maybe not the environment for blues because everyone's like having a great old time and you can't drink anyway and alcohol is a depressant. But the fact that the 1930s, which is literally called the Great Depression, yeah. that's why it was like, nah, nah, blues, no. Greatest blues singer ever? No, right, not doing exactly. it. Like really? Everyone is so sad. <laughs> I know. I swear everyone is singing the blues. It's good you stopped me because I almost skipped a section. Oh, good. Because I went to Legacy and then I'm like, I realized she didn't, I didn't even say how she died. So. She didn't. In 1935, uh, Ma would actually end up returning to her, her potential hometown. You know, depending on who you ask. She's uh, got a house right she, on the border. Yeah, right. She would return to Columbus, Georgia, and she would actually go on to own three theaters in the area. The theater, uh, the Liberty Columbus, the Lyric, and the Aerodome in Rome, Georgia. Oh, Rome, Georgia. <laughs> um, and she would own those until her death, which would happen four years later when she died of a heart attack in 1939. Can you imagine telling your family, hey, we're going to Rome for vacation. Everyone's all excited. And you go to Georgia? Like, but this is literally the most elaborate and worst dad I, joke you have ever told. I and I'm divorcing really, you. I really, really hope they have like a little tiny coliseum. Oh my God. I'm, if I lived there, I would build a little tiny coliseum like in my front yard and be like, look, <laughs> come see the, the coliseum. coliseum of Rome. Exactly. Here's the Pantheon. Exactly. Good God. We have Except little. Except I think the Pantheon is in Greece. They don't know that. It's Rome, Georgia. It can be whatever we want it to be. The rules don't apply. Welcome to Paris, Texas, bitches. Here's our Eiffel Tower made out of cowboy hats. And And steer horns. And boots. It starts with the boots (laughs) and then works up the hats. And propane tanks. Just (laughs) propane and propane accessories. (laughs) God damn it. Okay, so Texas stopped listening to us now. We just lost a whole like chunk of the United States. There's a Lulies next to it. What? That's like, isn't Lulies there? I don't like, know. I don't chain? watch King of the Hill. Actually, I don't even think Lulies is the correct name. I think that's the King of the Hill version, which just shows how little I know about actual Texas. And I everything I know about Texas comes from King of the Hill. So what? It's a a restaurant. Yeah. So oh, okay. Lulies is like the misnomer. Of an actual chain restaurant that's very popular in Texas. But I can't remember what the actual name is. 
I know Luann's name is at, is it her name? Okay, her so name her, is like after it. Well, her name is Luann Platter, which is actually a food item that you can order at one of those restaurants, the Luann Platter. Hmm. Anyway, I have no idea. Anyways, this isn't about King of the Hill. This is fine. <laughs> what is Luli and kind of meat? <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, okay, so legacy. So Ma Rainey is, like, while not credited with creating, like, the blues, she is kind of created with what is known now as, like, classic blues that, like, portrayed, like, black life and life, you know, of that socioeconomic status of people that people hadn't covered before. Because, you know, like, a lot of original blues artists were white people. I went to Target for some tampons, left with everything, but the tampons whenever life you, is so hard. Whenever you say that, all I think of is that, like, there's When that, your name is Karen. Right? I, I think I read it on our podcast before, maybe I didn't, but, like, the whole, like, it's Minnesota. Yeah, Like, Target is our, like, lifesaver. Oh, my God, that's still my favorite thing ever. Shoot out the poor 16-year-old because he didn't have my brand of Cheetos. So life's so hard when your name is Karen. Karen. <laughs> now I want Cheetos. That was like uh, the original shitty blues, and that's yeah, why right. everyone's like, this is garbage. And then people with actual problems was like, let me right. tell you about my blues. Everyone's like, oh, that's sad. Right. And so, like, the reason that a lot of people call her, like, the creator of classic blues is because she really built on her past of being, like, a minstrel and a vaudeville performer and that, like, comedic timing that she learned with what... um was known as like the American blues, you know, um, that she had encountered, you know, like from that woman that just walked into her camp with a guitar and that she had encountered in the South. So like, that's what is kind of the classic blues. It's kind of almost a combination of comedic timing and way old blues that none of us probably listen to anymore. Can you imagine being that woman that walked into that camp with her guitar, like after having a really rough day and then right? on the radio, she hears my range. She's like, the fuck, the fuck is um, this? But yeah, like she really helped pioneer that and it was it ended up being a genre that really appeared uh, appealed to the north and the south, rural and urban, like it just white and black. It really just kind of appealed to everyone. Any everyone could kind of find a meaning in her song. It transcended race and geography. Like I said, and she's also really known for that like low, gravelly, like deep I'm sorry, like I keep saying like the blues voice, but that's really like the only like way I can really describe it like it's 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 like the female version of louis armstrong yeah it's someone someone more that someone okay young kids might not know who i'm talking about but like janice joplin yeah that's that is the probably the most recent semi like deep gravelly voice i can think of yeah okay and that's what my notes even say like think of janice joplin but like more soulful than here's, that. Here's your assignment for after this episode. YouTube Ma Rainey, listen to it, and you're going to be like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of this whole exactly. time. And I understand what Kelly was so desperately trying to describe. Thank right. you for your effort. Thank you. It's so hard to describe a sound. Like, how do you describe a sound? What does a bird sound like? Um, High pitch? I don't know. Obnoxious sometimes? Right, exactly. Her legacy is also really one of... of being a woman to express herself and express 
the black female experience, express lesbian experiences, express literally just being a woman of any color. At one point she said, quote, uh, women who explicitly celebrate their right to conduct themselves as expansively and even as undesirably as men. She was basically like, this is who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to apologize. Deal with it. And I'm going to have an orgy now, so fuck off. In a lot of her songs, she talked about how her and other black women and women in general sometimes sleep around for revenge, drink, party all night, and generally lives lives that, quote, transgress the ideas of white middle-class female respectability. Basically, she's like, you know, we live life outside of your Victorian principles, even though a lot of white women did too. They just right. weren't upfront about it. So get ready to clutch your pearls because so Ma Rainey's coming yeah, for you. Her legacy is really one of black female sexuality, bucking heteronormative standards, and fighting for ideas that would go on to last generations. Some of these songs even inspired um, the characters for the, the book, The Color of Purple. The color purple? The color purple. Oh. I don't know why I said of purple. Like, apparently Alice Walker was very inspired by some of Ma Rainey's songs. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, she would also she was also known for bragging about sexual escapades, which made her actually quite popular with the men, which is kind of funny. Um, and then she would also draw on those themes to, to just be fiercely independent, fearless, and just use her connections to, like, build upon her her like how she stood. And a lot of these connections that people see in her music are things that that you can see in modern hip hop. That's really cool. Because a lot lot of hip hop kind of was born of these old style blues. She was actually also a fashion icon. I never really mentioned this before, but she wore, she tended to wear flashy, expensive costumes in her performance, such as ostrich plumes, satin gowns, sequins, gold necklaces, diamond tiaras. She even, she even wore like fake gold teeth. Oh my God. Did she have like a grill? Kind of. Not like, <laughs> not, not like super like gross, but like kind of terrible. Like classy That's the first grill. thing I thought of. Like, oh my God. Right? 1900s grill. <laughs> so she was inducted into the Blues Foundation Hall of Fame in 1983 and then the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990 uh, for our her streak. Uh, Stamp collectors. She was issued a 29 cent stamp in 1994. In 2004, the song CC Rider Blues was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame um, and was added to the National Recording Registry by the National Recording Preservation Board, which is a part of the Library of Congress. So that's definitely one song you can yeah. go and like find. There's also actually a small museum in Columbus, Ohio. Um, that was opened in 2007, which is particularly about Ma Rainey and her legacy. It's actually a house that she built for her mother and then later lived in. So this is the house that, like, when she went back home, home to her hometown, <laughs> um, but this, this, it's where she went to live. And so this is actually, like, the house she lived and died in. At, sorry about that. I just hit my mic. Um, that she lived and died in at the end of her life. There is a Ma Rainey International Blues Festival that started in 2016, and I mean, it probably didn't go last year, but like, is an ongoing thing. Why aren't we going right now? I know we should be. That sounds amazing. I actually really like blues. Um, I like the blues so much, I have to medicate against them. What? What? <laughs> uh, there is also an art school and other schools and stuff named in honor of her as well. 
So that she, is she has a very she's a very lasting legacy. Something I love about her is she just makes me think of like intersectional feminism because she is a woman, a woman of color. She's yep. a bisexual woman. Yep. And so everything she's doing, threat again, right? But what everything that she's doing is helping to advance everyone. You know, being open about her sexuality, right? Bisexual people are real, and like talking about being being a a woman woman and being like, I like sex. Sex is cool, you know, and being Mm -hmm. sex positive at a time where women were not supposed to Mm -hmm. talk about that. Being a black woman who has agency over herself and her career and her sexuality. Like, she just seemed, yeah, this very, I will not apologize. I should not have to apologize for who I am. And you can deal with it. Right. Boom. I think that's amazing. Oh, I just love she lived loud and proud mm-hmm. in every way possible. I also like that we can apparently buy a used version of her stamp for 59 cents. Does it like come with the envelope? How I know, does that I'm even like, work? Like, I, I'm, it, from the picture, it looks like they must have like cut it off an envelope, which I, I would totally be fine with. Because if I ever like bought something like that, it would just be to go in like a case anyways. Yeah. But still, I just, I just think it's funny. It's like used. I'm like, That's... okay. Like, does it have your spit on it? Right. Have you been I don't tested? Want that. You got the Rona, babe. <laughs> All right. Well, plus it's like if it's used like that one where it has like the you know because usually the stamp, when, like yeah the like I'm sticker. like I don't want that like I want to be able to see the fucking stamp. Yep. Anyways, Emily, what oh, are you no. thankful for? Um, the crown is falling off. Let me see. I am really thankful because my dad, I think I talked about this a little bit. He had a stent put in oh, yeah. over the like Is fall and winter. Well? He's doing well. And he's been really committed to improving his health and fitness. Oh. So for Father's Day, which by the time this comes out was like a million years yeah. ago, it feels like, I uh, suggested we weeks. go on a walk. And Aww. it was supposed to rain. So we ended up going to the gym and walking. We walked like a mile and a half. Just like around the track? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. There's like a space I where know, you can walk around, nice. and it was it was great because we were able to get that bonding time together. We were able to talk and catch up, but it was also something that I could support him in his efforts. Right, to you're get letting more it, fit. you're letting him know, like, hey, I understand yeah. you're trying to get healthy, and I support that. Yeah, and also like that was my exercise for the day, so I'm like, sweet. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. That was awesome. Also, today is my our friend Tierney's birthday. Yay, Happy she's birthday. 30. 30 and dirty. Yeah, welcome to the old farts club. Yeah, we got your cane. We got Ooh. your walker. I we got your skinny Emily. jeans and your side part. <laughs> I actually love my skinny jeans. I do too, and I love my side part. I don't look good with like it down. No, I tried it. I look so weird with a like with a middle part or yeah. no part. Like I see people that do that, that just like brush their hair. God, fuck. I see so many times that people just like brush their hair back, and it looks so pretty. And I'm like, no, I look like a fucking like. I look like I rolled out of bed, and my hair's just like. Yeah, you like, know no, what? I'm sticking to my side part. We just jeans. finally Fuck found. You, mo- we just finally <laughs> found you something. Younger millennials. <laughs> it's not millennials. It's Gen Z. It is the younger millennials. Like I feel like because we're like we are younger millennials. No, Kelly, we're, we're like mid millennials. Because we're the young ones. The millennials is the long, the like the largest generation because it includes people from like my husband down to like five years older, like younger than us. 
Okay, I was working the beer tent at our local like summer festival and I had to card this guy who had a baby. He was born in 98 and I was like, oh my God, and you have a baby? You are a baby. It was it was insane. Also, really quick random shout out while Kelly's looking up what a millennial is. Um, if you were in lacrosse, and your name is Ashley E. I'm not going to share the full last name. I may have met your friend's mom when I was working the beer tent. So hi. So hi. Thank you for listening. Because I was I was sharing with this woman that I have a podcast called Whining About Herstory. And this is what we do. She's like, oh, I think I've heard of that. And I was like, what, like podcasts? No, Whining About Herstory. I'm like, shut the front door. You have not. She's like, yeah, I think my daughter's friend. She gave me the name and like... The tower you love is like, oh my God, is this happening? So, so yeah, if that is accurate, Ashley E, if you listen, thank you. So millennials are nineteen considered 1981 to 1996. Good God. So we're kind of in the middle. Yeah. I mean. Lower well, middle. Low middle. But middle. We're French but, you class. Know, like, I hate it because I, like, I, I work with a lot of like b- baby boomers and Gen X's. Gen X is the one above us, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like our parents. <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel so bad. But like, I work with a lot of people that are older than me. I'm in, I'm in a profession that it's either like really young people more looking to move up in the world or like older people that are like, nah, this is where I die. Uh, <laughs> not this is where I die. This is where I retire. Um, I'm in the moving up category, just so you know. Um, but like, yeah, I hear a lot like, oh, those millennials, they don't want to do work or anything. And I'm like, excuse me, I want to work. I am going to grad school. Fuck you. And so like, I feel like it's the younger side of the millennials that kind of give like the whole millennials like a bad name. And I'm like, can we just like chop off like 93 to 96 and move them in with the generation after us? Okay. Here's my thing though. You know what every generation has in common? They bitch about, about the, the next- generation. Yeah. Cause yeah. we bitch about the generation below and us. bitching about how lazy they are and how they don't want to work See, and they have it so easy. I this- don't bitch about that when it comes to the generation but below us. I just bitch about them bitching about our side parts and skinny jeans. I'm like, I'm sorry. Fuck you. I'm going to wear what I want because I am older than you and they're fucking comfortable. I'm and old I enough look, to know what I want. And I look shitty without my side part. But yeah, th- like this whole idea that the next generation is like worse Basically, or whatever. It's, it's so stupid. We always, we always blame the generation before us for the predicament we're in, except you can actually look at the science behind the predicament millennials are in and why we're not buying houses and shit. And yeah. it really is the baby boomers fault and Gen X's fault. But besides that, yeah, it's it's like part of being a, an adult to bitch about the generation that's younger than you. Yep. Kelly, what are you thankful for? I feel like we've done a lot of bitching. I'm thankful for the bitching. Uh, well, I'm thankful I am. for the freedom to bitch. But I'm also thankful for that we got to, like this week, we got to spend time outside of the podcast. Like we are friends in real life, guys. Um, we don't just do this and then like go back in our cryogenic. Sometimes tubes. we do. Uh, well, just because I with the grad school and stuff, I don't have a lot of free time. Although one of my classes just ended, yay! So I have a little bit more free time. So I was really thankful to like get out and like be outside, and it was really nice out. Like not too hot, not too cold. It was like a perfect Minnesota day, which never happens. And like we, so we got to spend time outside of the podcast and that was really nice. And I'm thankful for my husband and dealing with all our like technical shit. 
Because, like, the camera wasn't working at the beginning, and I was just like, can you come help? And he's like, did you try this? And I'm like, yes. He's like, did you try this? I'm like, yes. I'm like, I literally tried everything you've taught me how to do, and it's still not working. Have you tried turning it on and off again? Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I'm just, I'm thankful for various things, and I'm thankful for the patrons, which you can yeah. join for as little as $1. Everyone. Yeah, you can see all the crazy hand motions and the outfits, and you can even vote on what you would like us to wear, and you know, you can see all the uncomfortable touching that happens and all how intimate we get. It was a God little high it. in that touching. Oh, it's funny. It's sometimes like Jared slaps my butt, but he misses, and like, he'll either slap my too lower low thigh or too high, or my I'm like, that back. wasn't my butt. I'm like, are you assaulting me? No, I was trying to smack your butt. Well, do better, be right. better. I know, I love that when I'm like, uh, that was my, like, upper thigh, and he's like, well, I was aiming for your butt, and I'm like, well, you should know where my butt is. Yeah, like, it's been how many years? So when I say know? he, it's not Jared, it's, yes. it's Justin. Uh, but yeah, you can see everything for as little as $1 a month. You can vote on what we're wearing, get in on all this. Uh, we're going to have some new merch and designs and stuff coming out. We're working on it. We're Custers. actually we're actually t- revamping our shop. Uh, yeah, because... we're going to be switching over to Spreadshirt instead of Teespring. We'll, we'll let you know when we do that. Yeah, because we weren't super happy with how long certain things were lasting or not, not lasting. But... Like us on Facebook, whining about herstory, Instagram at WAH pod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whining about and our email is whining about at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you, whether it's recommendations or just random stories or videos of your children listening to you react to our podcast or them reacting to us shouting you out on our podcast, you know, whatever. Literally anything. Yeah. We would just love to hear from you. Kangaroos, whatever. It's cool. To the Opera it. House. Pretty tree, tree vaginas. Oh my God. There is a tree vagina in the yard next to mine. And I keep meaning to take a picture, but I never have my phone with me while I take the dogs out. And I'm it like, makes her think it's of right there. The it does. No, every time I'm like, oh, Kelly, that tree vagina just makes me think of you. So please raise five stars wherever you listen. It's so helpful. It costs you nothing. And we love to hear from you guys. Yes. And as always... I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.